Welcome to the Aesthete, hosted by me, Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of Architectural Digest. On August 4, 2020, an ammonium nitrate explosion shook the city of Beirut, killing hundreds, leaving thousands homeless, and causing billions of dollars in damage. Days later, French Lebanese sisters Laura and Sophie Tabet came up with an idea Beirut Restore, an online marketplace featuring art, fashion pieces, decorative objects, and unreleased music by world renowned talents, with proceeds going to independent NGOs to help reconstruction efforts. On today's episode, Laura, a creative director, and Sophie, a production designer, discuss the city's devastation, the power of renewal, and the international community that has joined them in Beirut Restore. Note, graphic descriptions may disturb some listeners. I hope you enjoy the show. Where were you all when you heard about the disaster in Beirut on August 4th? Laura, you want to take this? Because you're five, six, seven hours ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, I should go first. Um, I was in Lisbon. My mother lives in Lisbon. I was at her house. And she'd just got back from Beirut uh, the night before the blast. So I was working at my computer um, remotely with a client and she shows me her phone and she says, you know, there's been a, an explosion. And um, I was kind of, you know, she, I was in the middle of working and she was kind of disrupting me. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's Lebanon. There was some explosion. And I honestly didn't, uh, I had, I don't know what they call this reaction, but I had this, um, I almost had no reaction for the first I don't know, 24 hours. It was kind of, I know there's a word for it, but. It's called being in shock, my love. <laughs> I think it's also a combination of having spent our summers there and, you know, hearing what we think is fireworks in the distance and then realizing that something blew up um, and kind of the normalization of how many times we've either been there or been nearby when something has um, literally blown up and so i think when i woke up it was already nine hours later and i had my my phone had been flooded with text messages from you know my family in europe um and my family in lebanon and uh to be completely honest with you the amount of times lebanon makes the news because of an explosion or you know something uh it took it took a moment to really understand not only the magnitude of it but also how close it was to us i mean we're in the line of fire our building is mm -hmm. that video that video that that was circulating that everyone has seen um that actually visual effects people out here in hollywood are studying because they haven't caught something on with at high definition with that much detail that that video has our, our building is in it you could you can see our building you see the you see the blast go through it and you know of course panic i i woke up already having seen my family confirm that our immediate family was alive 
And then it became a waiting game about hearing back from, you know, several friends. Uh, and we have, you know, one dear friend in particular who um, suffered terrible, terrible injuries and was in the ICU for, I think, how long was that? Two weeks? She's still making a recovery. It's really interesting that you said that a few minutes ago about Beirut always being in the news. Mm -hmm. that there's always an explosion with this normalization. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I'm obviously not from Beirut, but I've traveled there several times and, and have friends in, in Jemezi and was just, you know, yes, I think I had the same reaction. It was, it was oh, another explosion in yeah. Beirut. And then you realize that it was 120th of the bomb that dropped on Hiroshima. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable, the magnitude. Yeah, they say it's the third largest explosion ever recorded in the world. And uh, Jemeze is, uh, is just a few steps away from where our, our grandfather's apartments are. They live mm -hmm. walking distance from one another. And yeah, I mean, they've lived in those buildings for most of their lives. So they were both home. Actually, they were together at our maternal grandfather's house when, when it happened. And luckily they weren't too close to any windows. They didn't suffer fatal injuries, but they were both wounded. And, you know, the houses are needing to be reconstructed and the glass replaced and things. So we, we were super lucky that, you know, nothing worse happened to them. The, the house that my grandfather uh, lives in is, he's an architect actually. And he has a, he has a collection of uh, your magazines, uh, you know, on bookshelves. But he, he was a, you know, he's, he's 95 now. His name is Michel Harmouche. And he was a, a renowned architect in the 80s, a contemporary, a contemporary architect with a huge influence from 18th century artwork, Italian and French. And, you know, that apartment is, is stunning. We grew up amongst... Uh, Fortuny upholstery and Lalanne sculptures and uh, Pierre Le Sieur paintings. Um, and I can go on. A lot of objects have been ruined and things are broken. But at the end of the day, you know, at least they're, they're you know, at least they're all alive. Yeah, that's, that, was, that was a big conversation is, you know, how do you weigh out what you've lost and what you haven't really and the importance of things. And you know, there, there are some, there were some anthropological statues that he's, he used to collect a statue from every um, country he worked in and he worked all around the Middle East. And it was like, you know, he did, I think it was like a Jordanian prince's house or something. And he was gifted mm. something that they had found in the ground from the 18th century. And so the, all of those little things are, are, you know, meaning, very meaningful, very sentimental but also what is that compared to, you know, a life or someone's, someone's roof, you know? So there's been a lot of that also grappling with the, the understanding of materialistic things that we grew up appreciating the importance of and the history of versus obviously flooding our friend's phone for two weeks because we didn't hear from her and we didn't know if she was under rubble. And luckily she is making a, a recovery not a speedy one, but she's recovering. And, you know, actually speaking to a lot of our friends, Laura was saying this earlier, there were so many near misses, so many that 
there's this weird, there was this weird sentiment. I was speaking to a friend of ours, um, Hassan Idris, who's a fashion designer and an artist, wonderful, wonderful man. He was saying, how many miracles did you hear about in the aftermath? Oh, I was going to be here, but then I last minute decided to be doing this. And had I not, you know, so. Yeah. So there, there, there are so many friends of ours who were there and who said, you know, had I, had I not been uh, a bit of a wuss and when I hear an explosion, you know, or I hear a noise, like I actually run away from the window. Had I been one of those curious people who had run towards the window to see what, what's happening out there, right. I might not be alive. Um, and just some horror, horror stories as well. When something like this happens, it feels like, it feels like it's a movie. It feels like it's not real. You know, these are our, our friends and, and our family that we, you know, that we know. And all of a sudden they're on a street um, with, you know, people cut in half and siblings transporting each other's bodies and, mm. and trying, you know, trying to get as many people as possible to a safe place or to an ambulance. It just feels totally surreal. It still feels really weird. And it kind of gives me, a bit of a shiver even just describing it now. It's very morbid. Yeah. Um, but I guess the, the thing is that we, we, we typically are in Lebanon. I go at least three to four times a year. Um, and we are typically there in August. So we were lucky that we weren't there in a way. Our mother had some, she didn't have a premonition, but she had some gut instinct in June to say to us kids, you know, I don't think it's a good idea this year with the pandemic and all this stuff. And, you know, she, she wasn't predicting anything, but she just said, you know, maybe we just, maybe we just skip it. She ended up going without us because her father's 95, but we would have been there. Yeah. I mean, our father was there, but also more shockingly, I recall a conversation I had with my mother the day before she left, because, you know, it's always hard for her to leave my grandfather and we lost our grandmother in February. So he's recently alone. And, you know, so there's plenty of reasons why she finds herself in Lebanon more often than not. And she was talking to me about how she felt like maybe she shouldn't leave Judo and, you know, we should maybe extend the stay. And I told her, I said, extend it by four or five days. If it makes all the difference to him, there's no, it makes no difference to you. And she considered it and then decided that for her own well-being, she needed to get back to Lisbon and see her husband so that she could recharge and then come back again. I was there waiting for her. I was in Lisbon before she arrived and she was coming back to see her daughter because I hadn't seen her since her mother's funeral in January in Lebanon. I live in London. My mother lives in Lisbon. We hadn't seen each other for such a long period of time. So she was like, I need to get back to see my, my eldest daughter. My favorite um, daughter. Yeah, we get it. No. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to say Jiddo is a grandfather in Arabic. Within that moment, in, in that aftermath of, of the explosion, how soon did you start building in your heads the idea of Beirut Restore? So that was an interesting one because obviously, so I call, I call my older sister when anything tragic happens. And maybe it's because her reaction takes about 24 hours to kick in. So she's very like level-headed and I'm hysterical. So I call my sister and I'm in hysterics and she's being reasonable and level-headed. And I'm like, we need to do something. What are we going to do? And, um, you know, 
it, it didn't take long. Actually, a friend of ours who was a contributing artist called me up and said, why don't you do like an, you know, an auction of sorts? Um, which is a, it's not going to say a, a common way of dealing with this stuff, but it, you know, it was a great idea. I had seen people do that before and I thought, great. And so I brought that idea to my sister who then after a lot of thought decided that the best way forward was to actually make it a marketplace. And I, I'll let Laura talk about her, her thought process, but essentially it was, it became very apparent that either we were surrounded by people that wanted to do something or we were surrounded by friends, friends of ours who have, who know Lebanon and who love it. And the, the reaction to wanting to do something was really quite wonderful. And I don't, I don't even think I realized how many people care for the country that aren't from there. And so, and that was a really beautiful thing that, that garnered a lot of my attention. And then I started writing people's names down that had contacted me about if I can do anything, if I can do anything, I love the country. You know, I've been to Beirut twice, this, that, and the other. And then, and then from there, you know, I called Laura and, and she's a creative director. So she, her brain went into creative director mode. And I'll let, I'll let Laura tell us. Yeah, um, I, I think when Sophie mentioned, you know, some auction of some kind, I was a little bit dubious. I wasn't sure. But partly because I wasn't sure. I was like, who, who, what are we going to, what, what can we do really? How much, how much art can we collect? And, you know, is, are we, what are we talking about here? But very, very quickly through multiple conversations, not just with my sister, but with friends, Lebanese, non-Lebanese friends, and mostly there within the creative industry. It was like all around me, there was this kind of, it was pointing towards what are we going to do? We have to do something and how are we going to help? And I mean, I, I, we'd all donated money to, towards the, the impact, the fund with impact, but there was only, a, there was only so much individually that we could, we could give. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, this was a way of, uh, of giving back way more than we could ever, potentially. And, and the more we spoke to people, the more we understood the potential of the idea. And we actually have some interesting contributors here. We have some interesting artists and connections and network. And this could be quite amazing. And I love that it's a marketplace because one of the things I, I think about so much when I, I think about Beirut, the first time I ever went there was to see, uh, I was doing a travel article and I met uh, a, an architect, Annabelle Karim Kazar, and we went down to see where the old souk had been and she was involved in sort of rebuilding it. And when I think of, when I think of Beirut, I think of a marketplace. I, I think of a lot of people coming together and offering a lot of really beautiful things that it's a, it's a cultural imperative to have a marketplace. That's so funny because I don't think that was ever intentional, but now that you're playing that back to me, it makes complete sense. Maybe on some subconscious Lebanese level, we, you know, that's why it, it, that's why it was a marketplace. I think fundamentally we have an eclectic mix of things and we want it to be democratic. We wanted it to be a platform that was, would, could be available to all. So we have a, we have different price points, we have accessible price points, and then we have much more um, valuable items, let's say. And I didn't want to limit it to just one type of thing. I think the, 
I think 2020 paved the way for, you know, in the pandemic paved the way for some amazing um, print sales online, you know, raising Mm -hmm. money for COVID and hospitals and, and all of that. And so already there were people out there that were, you know, creating these initiatives and, and although I didn't know it at the time, they, they inspired us, you know, to, 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 to create Beirut Restore and, um, and to go beyond just, just it being, you know, a print sale and actually opening it up and trying to do more than just um, photography, but also fashion and also um, design objects. And, and I guess, you know, we, yeah, we didn't really limit ourselves because we were our own clients. There's something I wanted to mention around around the marketplace and around Beirut Restore itself is that because I come from a creative direction background, I'm, you know, branding is my thing and I'm always thinking about, you know, how 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 are we expressing ourselves? What's the copy? What's the tone of voice? How do we look? Is it graphic? You know, how are we going to keep people's attention? And I knew, you know, I knew all of these things, but um, I also knew that on the other hand, there was so much to do that I wouldn't be able to be hands-on with the graphics. So the only way I could go ahead and, and, you know, we could go ahead would be to do it the right way. That was the only way. And so I, called I, I called a, a friend who uh, who's a design director um Antoine he's he's French he lives in the UK and I said to him listen I'm thinking of this you know my sister and I are thinking of starting this initiative um, but I can't my heart is broken and I cannot you know I can't work on the branding I want to oversee it but you know would you be willing to come on board and that was almost uh the first <laughs> For me personally, that was the first moment of, okay, we can do this idea because we have, you know, we have our, our, you know, we have this, this incredible designer who's, who's putting his, his trust in us and who's, who's willing to uh, take this project on pro bono. He actually said to me, you know, I've been wanting to do a a, a pro bono project. Um, I want to do one a year. And he said, um, my dad used to go to Lebanon and lecture over there. He was, in, he, you know, he, he used to lecture in medicine. And I, I mean, I had no idea that he had a connection to, to Lebanon, but it's like Sophie was saying earlier, we've, we've been discovering all these people who have these connections to our country and it's pretty amazing. It's really fascinating to me. Um, you know, Lebanon is such a, a, a small country, but in a really pivotal part of the world. I mean, it's like a hinge for the, the, the Middle East in a way. And for such a small country, it has such a big global footprint in so many ways. I remember the first time I, I, I went to Be- Beirut and I was in a taxi and I was actually going to see Lady Cochran who, who died just after the blast in, in the, in the um, aftermath of the blast. And he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from the United States. And he said, my son lives in Toledo. And it was, it was like this very strange, everybody had a connection somewhere else. So that yeah, you felt yeah. like Lebanon had, had a footprint in every country you could imagine. Yeah, I mean, we're a displaced generation. Our parents' generation, you know, had to leave um, because of the wars. And uh, so there's a lot of us outside of Lebanon. 
all over the world. I believe there's actually more people outside, more Lebanese oh, yeah. abroad than there are in Lebanon, which is... Oh, uh, by a lot. A fascinating fact. You know, it, that brings us on to this, this concept of the, um, the expat guilt, which we very much felt when all of this happened. And I think that that, that was not, it wasn't a concept I even understood fully until a few friends of ours who are Western, what I call the Westernized Lebanese, whether they live in America or in Europe, that we grew up with. And so, you know, the, the order of, of events was we called our family, we call, called our friends in Lebanon, and then we were getting messages and exchanging with Lebanese abroad who, you know, just to commiserate with them and, and, and unify our front of, of the people that are affected by this but that aren't actually there with their windows blown out. Yeah, there's a, there's a help, there was a helplessness that we were experiencing. Yeah. And we were sharing this helplessness with each other. And that's when I discovered this term of the, the expat guilt. And I think it, it fueled a lot of our motivation because the, that kind of helplessness and that, that weird feeling of like, why, you know, as Laura said, we would have been there and we weren't this year by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so grappling with all of those feelings... And then, you know, diving into this project became a coping mechanism in a, in a huge way. Um, and it occupied eight to 12 hours of our day. Um, and it allowed us to feel better about not being out there, helping, bringing water to everyone. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, so it was, um, it, the Beirut Restorers did, did as much for us as we hope it'll do for the recipients of, of the funds. Can you tell me a, a, a bit about uh, the objects and art and fashion that you've, you've, you've brought together for this? And I, I, I presume it's still growing. It, it is still growing. And this is actually a very good opportunity to talk about um, the genesis of the collective as well and how we came to bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, very dear friends of ours who are amongst those expats, um, uh, Flavie Audi and Emilie Carré, who are both in different. Uh, Flavie does, does, you know, she's an artist designing Flavie's, object. Um, Flavie is a, a, a glass artist. She creates beautiful glass sculptures. And then uh, Emilie is, um, is a fashion stylist and consultant. Mm-hmm. And between the two of them, um, my sister and I... They have tentacles in many different areas. Exactly. So all of a sudden now you have... Well, actually, the, the way, the, way the, the pyramid started was Laura and I were on the phone and then Laura tapped one of her dear friends, Ulysse, who is basically everything that we are not. And because we're two creatives, I work in film, Laura, creative director. And so we called Ulysse, who is the, the machine behind it and was able to do the, the technical things that we don't, we don't know how to do. Ulysses, yeah, Ulysses kind of operations. He's helped us with all the logistical side of, of the, of the operation. So all the, all the complicated things that we don't know how to do, he's been guiding us and we've been learning as we go with him. I mean, I think he's been learning on, on the go as well, how to deal with shipping companies and, um, how to coordinate the entire oh, yeah the logistics yeah. so so it basically became um, Laura and Ulysse and myself 
as the founding partners. And that's when we then reached out to Emilie and Flavie as, as partners, because as you said, tentacles in every, in every field. And now all of a sudden we're talking to fashion photographers. We're talking to, you know, gallerists. We're talking to photographers in fashion and art in all these different, anyway. So it was, it became multidisciplinary very, very quickly. Uh, which I think is one of the beautiful things about this project. Yeah, I like to think of the curation as being a mix of um, emerging and established artists across multiple disciplines. Right. And, um, you know, we have, because we're a charitable initiative, you know, our, our contributors are, generally speaking, actually grateful to us to have ask them to be a part of it. I think what happened in Beirut was not just a tragedy for the country, but on a human level, I think it affected everybody who, who, who heard about it or who read about it because, because of just the scale of it, the magnitude of it. So we, we've been really lucky in that sense that contributors have been wanting to be a part of this and somehow all of us together, it's like we're this young creative voice that can actually, together we can actually do something, give something back somehow. So, 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 so yeah, I, I think even, and even from a PR standpoint, we've been, we've been getting help from multiple PR, PR people because right. everyone just wants to help and everyone's just so gracious about it all. It's been absolutely heartening and mind blowing how, how many people want to help us and connect us. And so we've just been good at, um, you know, facilitating saying yes. And, and uh, uh, from a curation point of view, uh, you know, making sure that, that kind of we're saying yes to the right people, but there's been a lot of trust. So mm. our collective, we've got 20, there's 23 of us in the collective. That collective, you know, is, is consists of, um, the collective consists of the founders, the partners, and then about 20 people, some of whom have helped with developing the site, building the site, designing the site, uh, helping with social media assets, creation, um, and, and, and outreach. A lot of people are helping with the outreach. So the way it started was we created a giant spreadsheet. We asked everyone to submit names of their contacts. There was a very light curation. And then, you know, everyone was kind of equipped with the tools needed to reach out. And we just started that way. So, so, so really it's, I mean, it's, it's everything. It's, it's fashion product, it's prints, it's photography, it's art, it's glass, it's uh, clothing, it's unreleased music. We're adding this, uh, in regards to unreleased music, we're, we're adding this element that we're, I think, we're playing with the idea of calling them experiences. Whether it's buying seats at a table for a catered dinner by, you know, a, a famous chef, or it's, you know, receiving unreleased music, or buying, buying a, a lot, lottery tickets to, to, be cons to, to receive the, this unreleased music or, you know, we're, we're, we're toying with all these different ideas um, to add this sort of ex experience element. We're calling these experiences Lucky Dip and essentially it's a raffle. And so rather than it be a physical, 
product that you buy, you're, you know, you're buying a lottery ticket and you might win an experience. So that, that experience can be music. Um, it could be a, a sitting portrait with a famous photographer that's coming up. Um, we also have, you know, a very trendy, quite infamous nail artist that's offering a manicure. You know, we have like, there's going to be all kinds of different, we haven't got loads, but we, we will be releasing those soon. How does the money get from Restore out into, out into the community to help Beirut and its rebuilding? What, how, what is the, um, the connection between Beirut Restore and um, organizations on the ground? We actually teamed up with a nonprofit organization called LIFE. And it's a Lebanese organization, which is comprised of uh, Lebanese diaspora, I suppose. The only way we could make this work really was if we had a legitimate way of, of receiving the funds and making sure that they're kind of clearly dispersed responsibly to these various NGOs. So actually what we're currently doing with LIFE is they receive the money. So when you purchase something through Restore, the money is going directly into the LIFE fund. That goes into something called the BEF fund, the Beirut Emergency Fund 2020. And, and essentially the money that the money from this fund goes to it gets dispersed to 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 NGOs. It's it's clear, you know, they're clearly vetted NGOs and they it's a, according to the most pressing needs, essentially. So the money gets dispersed according to the most pressing needs, which currently are residential rehabilitation, mental health and medical. So that's where that's where our intention is is to help the sort of most pressing urgent needs for 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 the for this short term anyway mm. there has been conversation about um you know once those pressing needs subside or change that we might redirect our in our approach and prioritize certain parts of art and culture of Lebanon that has obviously taken a huge hit, like the Musée de Surso is completely destroyed and stuff like that. So, you know, that's not pressing, but down the line we're thinking, because this is kind of an open-ended project right now, we're, we're going till January, but there's talks of potentially having this be a um, longer term project. And, you know, I, I really like this turn of phrase that we have. I don't remember who came up with this one, Laura, but rebuilding Beirut with the energy that fuels it, which is, art essentially it's um, restoring Beirut with the energy that drives it oh well there you go I mean uh, when we when we started out we wanted to disperse the funds to humanitarian NGOs helping simply with humanitarian aid those NGOs have actually received a significant amount of money and so we had to move on to this second goal which is the medical but mainly mental health and, and residential rehabilitation. And then longer term, as Sophie's saying, uh, focusing on education and arts, uh, giving back to the creative mm. community would be, would, be, would be a great thing. Beirut Restore is going to be open until the end of the year. And it just opened on October 2nd. Yeah, so it's open for three months. We didn't want it to be online forever. We wanted uh, people to have a sense of urgency and like, you know, you know, the, the items, you know, we're not a, we're not an online retailer. We're, we're fundraising. So, you know, we're, we're open for three months and then if it goes well, 
then who knows, maybe we might reopen in 2021 with a, a new batch or new collection and potentially like right. some like loads of learnings and a new approach. I think one thing that we'd like to do is incorporate more Middle Eastern artists online and also um, potentially have some sort of a system in place where obviously we're raising funds, but uh, potentially a portion of the funds raised could go back to the artists mm -hmm. um, to support them as well. I think there's something really lovely about the fact that we have all these international artists that are um, answering the call to Lebanon and sort of raising their hand and going, you know, we want to help and we want to participate. But longer term, it would be great to be more inclusive of uh, Lebanese artists and Middle Eastern artists as well. I think this time around, given what was happening, we were keen to show support and give them some space rather than try and ask them for favors. Yeah, give them a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I do, I do want to highlight one piece that we're very excited about. Again, I mentioned his name earlier, Hassan Idris, who's an artist and a fashion designer, has made a tapestry of sorts. He went and took a photograph of the port after the explosion and then printed it on fabric, stretched it, and then went back to the site, the explosion site, and has been basically beating parts of the rubble into this tapestry. And he's building this, it's beautiful and it's so emotional. I mean, you've got parts of, parts of rock, parts of, um, you know, metal and things and glass that he's working into this tapestry. And we're about to launch it. And we're very excited because we feel like that's kind of an epic piece for, for the Lebanese, from the Lebanese community, for the Lebanese community. Well, also it has a great deal of symbolism. Yes, creating exactly, beautiful, exactly. That is something that's growing. Exactly. Laura, Sophie, thank you so much for talking about Beirut Restore. It's an extraordinary initiative. And where can people go online? Yeah, check us out at um, BeirutRestore.com or on Instagram at Beirut Restore. Thank you both very much. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you, Mitch. It was really nice to chat with you. Thank you. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wurtzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com.